New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Even though classical science has not produced a good explanation for synchronicity, we all have had a direct experience of it at various moments in our lives. So how do we cultivate the capacity to invite more synchronicity into our everyday lives, and how can it help us make better choices? Our guest today tells us that synchronicity is personal, and it is nature's language for communicating directly with us. As we develop our personal sense of meaning regarding the events of our lives, we enter into a cosmic dance with the divine that is totally unique to each of us. Today we'll be exploring the realm of meaningful coincidences and how they can guide us in positive ways with our guest, Sky Nelson Isaacs. Sky Nelson Isaacs is a physicist, musician, teacher, parent, and activist. He has many years of experience as a physics and math instructor and has also worked in the software industry. His current work involves research in the field of quantum foundations and has published a growing body of peer-reviewed work developing the foundation of a theory of synchronicity. He has also earned recognition as a singer, songwriter, and performer. He's the author of Living in Flow, The Science of Synchronicity and How Your Choices Shape Your World. Join us for the next hour as we explore how unexpected coincidences can guide our path with our guest, Sky Nelson Isaacs. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Sky, welcome. Thank you, Justine. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. I would love for you to just begin by telling us what was your early interest in this whole subject? When did it first occur to you that this was something that was interesting and provocative and started you on the path of a lot of research? That's a good question. I, I come back to noticing how this has been with me for a long time. And I didn't know it when I was a kid, but I, I had experiences of, you know, I was, I was exposed to spiritual traditions early on through the work of Sri Swami Satchidananda and also through reading the Tao Te Ching and Rumi and, and other books that were available to me. And I had experiences through various means in my childhood where I, I recognized that there was something more than just obvious reality 
that there was some some hidden layer uh, uh, that I could tap into sometimes, you know, alternate alternate states of mind. And I took that that knowledge in my 20s and um, started to notice more and more, like, try and piece, a, piece apart what that is. Like, sometimes experiences will happen that are meaningfully related to what's going on in my life. And, like, I had an experience when I turned 20, I was traveling in Europe. And my friend Dana was also traveling in, in Israel. So we sort of had this vague plan to meet up in Greece. We didn't have cell phones at the time. It was in the early 90s. And we just had this, like, this childhood kind of vim and vigor to like, let's meet up in Greece. But it turned out as I was traveling, I wasn't able to call her because I didn't have any money to make phone calls while I was backpacking. And I got sick. So I took a train up to Paris to catch a flight home and was going to call her when I got back to California. Uh, as it turned out, she got sick of waiting for me to call. And her friends invited her to go to Paris for the weekend to go to Fashion Week. She almost said no because she was waiting for me to call, but she decided in the end to go. And so I'm walking to the Louvre Museum in Paris, and I walk in to this room in the middle of my day in, 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 in the Louvre, and I see this person that looks just like Dana. And I, I just blink and stare, and her friend looks over at me and then tells her, don't look now, but there's this really weird guy staring at you. <laughs> so she looks over at me, and she says, that's Sky. She had told her friend all about me. And so we met, we met by accident in Paris, and she's the woman that ended up becoming my wife eventually. It wasn't obvious right then, but that was kind of a soulmate moment, right? Where we knew that there was something there that was destined to happen. So those kinds of experiences, either they're something scientific, there's some scientific process to it, or it's all in my head and I'm just making up the odds, you know? I'm just thinking it's meaningful when it's not. And I've, I started to look at spiritual experiences that I'd had and look at what is the, is the central piece of this experience really a synchronicity? is a central piece of where I see um, the divine showing up, in my, showing up in my life. Is that really often a synchronicity of some kind, a meaningful alignment of a weaving together of my life with someone else's life? And so I've come to feel that we must be able to describe it with science and that the types of experiences we call divine often have this element of the divine is essentially weaving our lives together. Well, it... If we looked at materialistic science, and when they look at such an event, they'll say, this is a cognitive illusion. Right. That's how they would describe it. But you're saying that there's something that happens when it's meaningful. That's kind of a key. What is synchronicity in your view? Um, synchronicity is a meaningful coincidence. That's, that's essentially Jung's, Carl Jung's definition. Um, but let's go a little deeper than that. A lot of times the arguments are around statistics, that you're trying to show that you know, synchronicities are really just statistical things that could happen, but you, you connect dots in your mind and you, you, you make it seem like it's more likely than it really is, or more unlikely than it really is. But a lot of times what I noticed in writing this book is that the examples that people use to, talk, to, to, to claim that human beings are really making up experiences of meaningfulness and synchronicity are often things that are really not that meaningful to begin with. Like you buy a red car and then you see red cars on the freeway everywhere you go. And I'm not interested in the kind of, you know, heady description of like, well, 11, 11, I woke up at 11.11 and it was on the 11th day of the month and my birthday is on the 11th. Like 
that I think that's a rabbit hole of difficult, you know, interpretations. And that's a lot of what these people focus on when they talk about synchronicity. I think synchronicity comes from deep inside of us. I think it's an, it's an expression of our heart. I think the language of our heart is symbolic. This is something that Carl Jung talked about. And symbolism is driving how synchronicity shows up in our lives. So we can't fake a uh, symbolic yearning, a, a divine, a, a um, urgent, genuine need. I think our hearts, when we feel urgent, genuine need towards something, our hearts are feeling uh, an anticipation of some experience. Sometimes it's an experience we want to have, like we really want to connect with someone that we're thinking about, or it's an experience we don't want to have, like I really don't want to have my um, rent check get bounced or something like that. And either way, the, the way that our heart yearns for this experience, it's, it's anticipating an experience it wants to have. And experiences are really the core element of how I think the universe operates. And so when we have a, a yearning for an experience, we're symbolically creating that type of experience in the world. We're, we're, we're connecting with the possible experiences and choosing the ones that are most like the one we're feeling. And so to talk about how many red cars you saw does disservice to the real depth of how I think this shows up in our lives and why it shows up. So you're saying that there's this feeling in our hearts that's strong, that has an emotional kind of content, then we're choosing an affinity of some possibility. So it leads us, our choice then leads us someplace that connects us to what? Well, if you picture an apple tree. So a tree is the, is the shape that essentially represents the way quantum mechanics talks about the evolution of things. Quantum mechanics, what sets it apart from everything else is it's this theory about what the universe is doing when we're not looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> and when we're not looking at a system, like an electron in, a, in some kind of device, it branches into different possibilities. And those possibilities can be seen as like different branches of this tree, this metaphorical tree. Now, if you can apply that same language or that same arithmetic to macroscopic things like us and, and cars and houses, and there's a whole argument about that. That's an ongoing debate that's been going on for almost 100 years. But if you do that, which my work tries to do academically, then you, you have this branching tree structure that represents all the different ways that circumstances can unfold in your life. And out of all the very many possible branches, if, you look, if, you're, if you're standing at the base of that tree and you're looking up at all the branches available to you, some of them will align with the choices you're making right now. And those choices are typically coming from some, some kind of feeling or emotion that you're having, that you're acting upon. And so the branches that align with the choices you're making will metaphorically grow an apple. So the apples land on the branches which um, reflect the nature of our own inner qualities from choice, the choices we're making, like whether I decide to invest in my new business or whether I decide to have a difficult conversation with someone I care about. Like these, are, these are actions which are pretty bold, which would populate the tree on branches that have outcomes that are that are aligned with that. So what is the key of not just following randomly that tree and just 
sort of you get to a fork in the road and you you have no emotional attachment to anything and you're just sort of wandering. But you're saying if it's more directed, then it becomes the greater opportunity for something to enhance that choice. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I make a distinction between meaningfulness and purposefulness. Can I read a quote from the book? Please, please do. There's a distinction between finding our purpose and finding a sense of purpose. The first phrase implies a very big statement about life's goals, as if there is something we are supposed to be doing with our lives and we have, we have to find the right thing. I like the second phrase, finding a sense of purpose, better. I think that the universe responds to the choices we make by bringing new events into our lives that match those choices. Therefore, each of our daily actions becomes really important. Making each action purposeful is a habit we can develop. Every action is meaningful, but a purposeful action involves direction on our part. It's like tending a garden. You aren't a factory farm pumping out only one cash crop. You're a community garden planting different seeds at different times and for different purposes. Some of your actions purposely build love within your family. Others of your actions invest in your success in your career. Still other corners of the garden hold seeds you plant purely for the purpose of growing your own joy and fulfillment in life. Finding a sense of purpose focuses more on the sense of part than on the purpose part. The purpose can be any goal or intention you take on, but your sense of purpose is unique to you. Finding a sense of purpose is about finding the essence of yourself in everything you do. We'll go into this more deeply in just one moment. I want to remind our listeners I'm here with Sky Nelson Isaacs. He's the author of Living in Flow, The Science of Synchronicity and How Your Choices Shape Your World. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. So, Sky, you're talking about purpose, and it's a sense of purpose. I'm just thinking about what comes to us then when we have that sense of purpose. Let's go back to the red cars. So, if we want to buy a red car, and suddenly we're seeing lots of red cars, but what if we have in our heart saying, I'm not sure that I really should do this. I'm, I'm at a decision point. And I need, so you're asking for information from the cosmos, so to speak, or this invisible world, or this interconnected world that we can't see with our eyes, but yet we hear that it's totally interconnected. So you're asking for advice. 
Uh, so, and suddenly you see all these red cars on the freeway. So, would that change the formula then? Well, this is, it's a really good question because this is something that I've asked for a long time in my life because I've essentially externalized the advice, right? I, wanted, I want someone outside of me to give me confidence in what I'm trying to decide. The key element, which is really the closing sentence of the book, is that the synchronicity reflects us. It's not guidance from outside of us. If there's not some external conscious being that's telling us, oh, this is the right thing, it's a process of reflecting to us what we feel that we don't have access to, conscious access to. So does that mean that there's a kind of, when we're really focusing on that question, there's a greater sense of noticing and in that noticing, it's bringing us information that we actually have inside us. Is that what you're saying? It's, it's that and a little bit more. So it's more than simply noticing things you didn't notice before. Because that would be the argument from uh, someone who just thought synchronicity was a psychological phenomenon. It is that you are dwelling. I mean, you have different choices of how you dwell on it. You could dwell on the question of, should I buy a red car with, with uncertainty and underneath uncertainty is some sort of insecurity or fear about how it's going to work out or not work out for you. Or you could ask the same question from a purpose of clarity and confidence, in which case you're actually not looking for help from outside because you're confident this, this is the direction. And you may not know where you're going to go. You may not know that the red card is the right choice, but it's, it, you're not coming from a place of fear and insecurity. The, the point that I'm trying to make here is that we are, in either case, we're, we're feeling into that future in which red cars appear. So the red cars appear as a reflection of the process that's going on inside of us more frequently than they would have otherwise. But it's not to tell us that it's the right thing to do. It's a reflection of how we're, in some sense, obsessing on this question. So just back away from the question of whether things are right or wrong I think synchronicity is a process by which our inner state is being reflected outside of us, whether we're confident or not confident about what we're trying to do with our lives. I know that you talk about something called the Lorax mm -hmm. <laughs> formula, mm -hmm. and I think that this has something to do with that whole process. And you give us some direction about what we could, how we could proceed, let's say, in any sort of question that we might have or any concern or intention that we have. Can you describe that? Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's also this piece about meaning, right? Because you asked about the difference between a meaningful and a purposeful action. I mean, everything we do is meaningful. Everything we do in the world has some kind of app, set of apples that it's pointing us towards. And the difference between that and a purposeful action is a purposeful action is one that is aligned with some kind of intention that we have. So we're, there's an alignment between the choices we make and uh, an inner intention. So the, the goal here is to find ways to become more purposeful because everything we do is meaningful. Now, how do we find that sense of purposefulness? How do we get back into flow in our day when we are, feel stuck? when we feel like we're alone in the world and we don't have access to like our, our big vision of what our life is about. Well, the Lorax process is, uh, is an acronym for the following steps. Listen, open, reflect, release, 
and act, and then repeat the process. So those steps refer to the following. Listen means to listen to life. It could mean noticing that something your spouse said to you in the morning right? could mean that you, that you ignored. It could mean something your kids said to you. It could mean something that happened at work, like an event. It could mean your BART train, your, your public transit train was late. And instead of getting frustrated, you're going to stop and listen to the circumstance. Instead of fighting against circumstances, we're going to take a second and just take stock of what's happening. Listen to life. And once we're, once we're listening to life, often we need to open our minds because life is going against what we wanted it to do. So opening our minds is, a, is the next step. And once we've opened our minds and, and settled into what's happening in the circumstance, we can reflect on, well, how is, is there some way in which this is actually of service to me? Is there some way in which this can benefit me? And then I might have to, once I recognize something, I might have to release my attachment to how things were going to go. And from that informed place, I can now act and I will be in alignment with the circumstances as they are, but I will also have reflected on what are my goals here? What are my intentions? And so it's, it's a place where I have aligned with the cosmos and when we're working together. And, and that will bring about, from our, it's our actions then that bring about a movement along that tree of the apple tree and brings us closer to some of the apples. And some new event will come along, which we have to listen to again. So we jump back into the listen, open, reflect. So what I see, Sky, in this whole scenario is that we, what I often call, we have to get out of our isolation and get into the corridors of life, yeah. so to speak, so that that there's the more possibilities are available to us. Would you would you say? Yeah, I have a story that really illustrates oh, that well. I was on my way to give a workshop and. I was very busy that day. My wife was out of town. I had to get my daughter to school on time, happy, alive. <laughs> and, and then I had to get, find my way across the county to get to the place where I was going to give the workshop. And I got there quite a bit early, which was intentional so I could have time to prepare. And I, I was feeling nervous about this particular workshop because it was people that I didn't know. And I wanted to think about how I was going to really settle into feeling welcomed and feeling... Um, connected to them. So I figured I would do that by perfecting my slides. So I opened up my computer to perfect my slides, you know, edit things and practice, right? But when I arrived at the location a few hours early, I decided I was really exhausted from my, my life and I was going to take a nap. So I took a brief nap and when I woke up, my car wouldn't turn on. So my car battery died. It's sort of a reflection of like my inner battery being dead, you know? <laughs> and uh, the first thoughts that come to mind were like, this isn't supposed to happen today. I've, this is my chance to get work done, and I'm anxious about how this workshop's going to work out. And that happens a lot for me, where an obstacle comes up into my path, and um, the first thing I want to do is just fight back. But this is my chance to listen. Okay, I, I have no options here, right? I have to listen to this circumstance because my car won't go anywhere. So then I open my mind. Well, is there some way in which I can open to new possibilities here. And then I reflected on what could this possibly bring me. And as I was checking my, my email, thinking about what to do, I noticed a headline that, that said, uh, you can't do this alone. And that was a reflection to me that resonated because inside what I was feeling was that I was alone in this workshop preparation and that I was going to be coming up alone 
in, in confrontation with the people that I was going to be working with. And so that reflected to me something that was useful. And it was only useful because I took it in and was like, yes, that's true. So that was a listening, you really noticing, listening. Yeah, well, the, uh, that was Reflect- all part of that process. And yeah. that was where I was reflecting, reflecting on the circumstance and what it might actually benefit me. And I realized it would benefit me because I now had to get out of my car, break the isolation that I was going to have, you know, just sitting there typing away, and deal with the world and interact with the community right around me. So in that process, the first thing I decided to do, uh, well, for, I had to release my attachment to how I was going to solve the problem by editing my slides and all that and practicing. I had to release like being perfect. And then my action was, the first thing I did was I texted one person I knew was coming to the event and I asked them if they wanted to go out to dinner beforehand. And they were bringing a number of friends. So this gave me an opportunity to connect with four or five people before the event even started. And then while I was waiting for my car to get fixed, two people came along and asked if they could help. In fact, one of them was just asking for directions to get somewhere of me. And in both cases, I was able to give them a copy of my card and and invite them to the workshop. And both those people came. So by the time the workshop ended up happening, uh, one of them had brought me a a, a sandwich and they had showed up to be part of the workshop. And I knew a lot of the people in the room and I felt very different than I would have felt otherwise. So the car breaking down gave me an opportunity to solve the very problem that was in me to begin with. But I had to be really listening really carefully to the circumstance and listening to my own inner voice of anxiety around what was really, what was really driving the circumstance for me, the, the worry about being connected to my audience. So one of the things that y- you talk about is like getting beyond fear. Fear closes down those yeah. possibilities. Am I yeah. correct in yeah. assuming that? So can you say something about that, please? Fear, I think, is the core element here that shuts us off from flow. In talking with people, I've asked people, you know, what do you feel it gets in the way of flow for you? And I've had people tell me a number of times that avoidance of pain is something that that stops them from being in flow. And I think about this in the following way. Life and the process of flow is, is a process of healing. It's a process of bringing us again and again into circumstances which are intended to help us heal from our past wounds. The car breaking down is something that showed up in my path, not because I wanted it to consciously, but because it served a purpose in my soul growth of recognizing where my true strength and true connectivity was in connecting with people. And so it served that purpose. And it, if often we want to avoid pain because we don't want to dive into circumstances that are painful, whether it's a conversation that's hard to have or reaching out to people on the street that are strangers in the case of my car. And yet the path to healing leads through those experiences. So fear can stop us from being willing to take the steps that flow is leading us towards. But if we can let go of that fear and understand where that fear is coming from, that's really helpful to me. If I can understand where that fear is coming from and, and have a different relationship with myself around it, uh, I find that flow is leading me towards experiences that can often be intimidating or stretch my comfort zone and yet can heal some pattern of mine that I really, at a soul level, I really want to heal. I know that you connect flow and synchronicity, that they're very... Uh, connected in some way, and we'll talk more about that in just one moment. I'm 
here, want to remind our listeners, I'm here with Sky Nelson Isaacs, and he's the author of Living in Flow, The Science of Synchronicity and How Your Choices Shape Your World. And if you'd like to know more about his work, you can go to his website, skynelson.com. And in that website, you'll see workshops, you'll see blogs, you'll see all sorts of wonderful information and information about the book as well. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Sky Nelson Isaacs. He's the author of Living in Flow, The Science of Synchronicity and How Your Choices Shape Your World. And we were talking, you've talked about flow and synchronicity, and they are very intertwined. They're, they're dependent on one another. Is that correct, or how do, how do you look at it? Well, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi wrote the original book on flow, called Flow, The Psychology of Optimal Experience. And he talks about in life, we, sometimes we want to take a lot of more control of life. When problems come up, we want to take control. Or we, when problems come up, we want to surrender control. And those are different ends of the spectrum, right, of, of how much control are we going to take of life. And flow is about neither of those. It's about transcending the worry about being in control. So when we're engaged in sports or music in some way that, that makes us forget what we're doing, or we're in a conversation that makes us forget the time, or we're engaged in life in any way that doing anything that makes us forget you know, our worries. We stop worrying about whether we're in control or not. We just engage. So flow is about a wholehearted engagement with life. And synchronicities are those meaningful moments that show up in life when we do that, which keep us moving in some really amazing direction. It's more amazing than we would have had if we had just used our intellect to sort of control things. Sky, that just reminds me of a question that has been posed: Is the universe friendly? Right. And you are you say that okay, it's neither friendly nor not friendly, and it's not even indifferent. What do what would you say to the answer to that question? How do you look at that? The cosmos is responsive. Responsive. That's the big word. If there's a big word in all of your book, yeah. I think it's that yeah. word. That's what popped for me, right. is that the universe is responsive. Right, and that puts the, the responsibility on, on me as a human being to take responsibility for the events in my life. And not necessarily I'm to blame for bad things or good things, or you know, but as a sense of the universe is responding to me. And so how do I see you know, my, my financial health or my relationship health or the unexpected things that happened to me at my job, how, do the, how are those things reflecting the choices I'm making? Because the universe is responding to us. It's not necessarily helping us. You, you give a, a wonderful example uh, going back to fear and that which kind of stops us, that we might have an idea, oh, 
I should go talk to that person or something, you know, it's just something happens. You give a wonderful example of the conspiracy of silence in, let's say, when we've all been there, if we've traveled at all, and we're in an airport security line, mm-hmm. and we're all just standing there, and none of us are talking to anybody. Right. And you give a kind of example where something that happens that breaks that silence, right. and then things just start right. opening up. Right. Can you well, give— Because what we're doing is we're connecting to people's humanity. And when we're in public and in a situation where we feel like there's something that needs to be said— but nobody in the group is willing to say it, it's difficult. It creates a layer of, of silence. I had this experience, uh, which was a synchronicity of sorts, where I was seeking to write an article that was more in-depth and more well-received, like was, was more in service to a broader, broader number of people. And I wanted to write this and publish it, but I didn't know quite what to write about. And I, I wrote a few things and tried, and it didn't work. And this actually came from a dream. I had a dream that said, write something that gets noticed, that's of service. So I was trying, and you know, my intellect was trying to do that. And then one day, I found myself at the grocery store with my daughter, and I saw on the shelf a, a magazine. You know, they have the magazines right as you're walking out the door. Uh, just as I was paying, I saw this magazine that had pictures that were were actually filled with hate speech. You know, there was pictures that were crossed a line in my mind of what's acceptable in uh, a public place for us to be talking about in terms of racial disparity in in our country. And I, I found myself paying for my groceries and couldn't quite focus. And my daughter was with me. I was trying to manage, you know, how's she doing? And I realized I wasn't at all focused on the moment. And I realized why, because I was just obsessed with this article I'd just seen. And so I, I decided to wait for the manager. And I, I called for the manager and I waited about five or 10 minutes for them. And I almost left because I was like, oh, I shouldn't do this. This is a waste of time. But I just stuck with it. And the manager showed up and I said, I walked over to the article and I said, this is not something that I think should be out here because you and I both feel that there's, you know, hate speech in this and it's not appropriate. And he said, if that's the way you feel, I'll take it off the shelves. And he took it off every register from the store. And it was a really meaningful moment where I had broken that silence that, you know, people just walk by that and, and ignore it. But for me, it was a meaningful thing to do to, to stand up for what I believed in. And I, when I got home, I wrote that up. And, and I, my daughter was part of the whole thing. She saw it all happen. And I wrote it up. And that went viral and had a whole big following of hundreds of comments. And so it actually satisfied. It was like a synchronicity that came in response to what I was seeking to experience. But you were bold enough and patient enough to stand in that, to say, okay, I felt something in my heart, and I acted on it. Right. So that goes back to that Lorax right. going back to acting, right. and you actually— Right. So, And I was listening when that circumstance came up, you know, and I opened my mind to, oh, I, I don't want to say anything about this, because who wants to talk to the manager about complaining about something in the store? And But I reflected and was like, oh— this is, you know, this is something I need to do. And I didn't actually notice that this would be something I could write up, but clearly that was like part of that process. So I think it, it speaks to how, how much of flow is not about controlling or not controlling. It's about transcending the worry about control and diving into life. And life knew what I was seeking, you know. My inner soul knew what I was seeking, that experience to write about that was meaningful to me. And an experience showed up that I didn't even recognize, but I followed my gut. 
So, in other words, life knew what you were seeking, so there's a match there. There's an affinity there. There's an attracting force right. happening. Is it? Well, it's, and, and yes, and that force is like my, I was feeling a need to have an experience of, of, me, of depth and meaning like that. Like, I wasn't aware of it, but I had had that dream. I was thinking about what can I write about that's really meaningful and of service to people. So some subconscious part of me was, was reaching into those branches of the tree in the future and saying, which of these align with what I want to experience? And then that opportunity showed up because the apples were weighing down those branches and making those branches more probable. You can't direct that. You know, that's right. where synchronicity comes right. in. You, because it's an intention you had and something that you were holding in your heart, uh, and which reminds me of another part that you talk about in the book is looking at life, being at life through the lens of the heart. Right. Rather than, I guess, the head, which gets rational and linear, but the heart is a different way of moving through life. Right. Well, I think the heart is something that even even in our society, when we talk about the heart, we do it from our head. What I've come to see is that what the heart is about is about things like conflict and grief and joy and laughter, real experiences and we're good in our society about laughter, right? We, we, we have humor in our movies. And, um, but it's not about things we can talk about. It's about things we experience together. And uh, I, I, do, I do talk about grief in this book because I think that one of the things that holds us back in our culture from experiencing more flow and synchronicity is a resistance to things we don't want to feel. So can I read a, a oh, passage from do. the book? Oh, please please. Our grief allows us to let go of what is holding us back from living fully authentic lives. Our sorrow and the outrage that may come with it can light a fire within us. We don't all need to become activists. We don't all need to follow an outward path of political or social change. Rather, allowing those authentic feelings into our hearts can give us the courage to be honest right here in our own lives, in our own homes, in our own places of work, or worship. When we authentically feel our emotions, we are no longer willing to let life go by without speaking up into the microphone. We are also no longer willing to let external standards determine who we are. An important first step is allowing ourselves to feel the grief of loss. Whether it's the loss of a relationship with a person we loved, the loss of ecosystems or creatures, or the loss of a, of a profession a way of life, or an opportunity. When we open to the full range of our experiences, we can also reconnect with our ability to feel joy, to feel gratitude for what we have, and to sense our power to direct our own lives. So what I get from that, Sky, is that uh, in order to feel joy, truly, that we have to feel also the grief. And we can't just go to one end of the spectrum and right. say, okay, we're only going to feel this. Right. And I often, when I'm like watching a movie or, or something, and, and something comes to me, and suddenly I just touch into this, to tears and grief. And for myself, I always feel a little bit grateful mm -hmm. for that moment mm -hmm. because 
it feels so big Mm -hmm. in my heart. Mm -hmm. It enlivens me. I feel alive in that moment. And so I, I kind of put out a prayer of gratefulness, even though it's not joyful or laughter, it's powerful. Well, I think the state that we're really after is what you're describing. It's a state in which our chest feels open and expanded, and there's a power that's inherent in that. And it may be joy, it may be laughter, it may be sadness and grief. For me, there's a big uh, thing that I feel when I recognize a mistake I've made. I'm in a conversation with my wife about something, and I realize this is what I did. Oh, yeah, instead of defending it, you know. So there's an open, when I can reach that openness, my heart expands. And that space is the space where solutions begin to emerge. That's the space where synchronicity can show up in our lives to solve problems for us because we're no longer defending against the ways that we've done something wrong or trying to control things. We're open and expanded into uh, what we're authentically feeling. There we go. That's, that's the important point that you're making is that um, not defending or there's an, another emotion that we can often feel is regret. Mm-hmm. And we can just do this litany of regret that we'll yeah. remember, have some memory of something. Maybe it happened years ago and we go, oh, and we yeah. cringe. That's something that I guess in your terms, it might shut us down in some ways. Well, I think, if, and this I think is a really useful practical point with synchronicity. Because if you start paying attention to finding synchronicity in your life, you'll start to see it a lot. And inevitably, you're going to miss some of them. Like somebody is willing to talk to you about something you want to connect about, and then, but you're too shy and you miss the chance and it's just gone like that, you know? And then you regret that. And what I connect to that is that every one of those missed opportunities is a feeling of grief. That there's grief every time we miss something that we, we realize could have been greater. And the more we can allow grief to flow in our lives, the more we can stay in the flow and open, not defend ourselves like, oh, yeah, I missed, I always do that, you know, but I always miss the opportunity. But actually just accept it and move forward and see that as grief. I'm here with Sky Nelson Isaacs. He's the author of Living in Flow, The Science of Synchronicity and How Your Choices Shape Your World. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Sky Nelson Isaacs, and he is the author of Living in Flow, The Science of Synchronicity, and How Your Choices Shape Your World. And I know 
Sky, that I mentioned in the intro to this program that you are, besides a parent, besides a physicist, besides teaching physics and math and all the other things, a songwriter and so forth, you are also an activist. And I know that you apply synchronicity in some way that we can actually use this in our lives when we are feeling concern about the world and about what's going on, whether it's climate change or whether it's terrorism or, or, or violence or whatever it is that's going on, that somehow this whole idea of bringing more choices into our lives or being more choiceful will help us in some way to get through these feelings that yeah. we have. I feel like disempowerment is a really central theme in our culture, in our world right now. And if we think about people who are feel compelled to do violence in schools or in public places and churches, I can, I can only imagine that there's a sense of disempowerment that that person feels in order to have to take back power so, so violently and a sense of isolation that they feel from their communities and from other people. I don't know that that's a whole lot different from the sense of disempowerment that I feel in regards to climate change when I think about our representatives not acting and, and us not being able to make a difference and change the direction of climate change, which is an existential threat and something that keeps me up at night. So what I think, you know, the Lorax is a great word because uh, it, for me, it reminds me of the Lorax from Dr. Zeus who is the character that speaks for the trees because the trees have no voices. And it's sort of an accident how that all came into the same word. But to me, synchronicity speaks for us. It shows up in our lives when we feel like we have no voice. So I'd say the underlying message of my book you know, is that the cosmos is responsive. And so it's on us to start looking at our lives and seeing how do I start responding to my life? How do I choose things that I'm really passionate about in life? How do I speak up in public at times when I really care about something and I'm not just holding myself back out of fear of being ridiculed? And these are the steps that, that empower us to live a more authentic and fulfilling life. And I think that there's a connection between us individually living more fulfilling lives more connected lives where we feel less isolated from each other and more connected. There's a connection between that and these bigger problems that we, that we want to resolve. So flow is a way that our personal path can align with the global path. You know, Sky, when I hear you say that, I'm reminded of your library of heaven mm. that you use. And, and that's when this, let's say, take the example of climate change. And that's so big. And the library, as you describe it, from what I understand, is that we don't have to do everything. In fact, we can't do everything. We can't connect with everything. But we can connect with that which is close to us, right. in other words, right. uh, that, that part of the library where, right. we're, where we live. Right. And I'd, I'd love for you to say something about that, because things do feel overwhelming, so imagine you're in a library, and it's a big library with big bookshelves, and you want to solve climate change. But you're standing in the section that has to do with personal relationships, 
and cooking, you know, on either side of you. So where you're at, there's only a certain set of books that are available to you. And you can start there by doing the work that's available to you. It may not be possible to solve climate change right now, but there's also an element of trust that I can move through this library and get to where I want to be to get the information I need. And that movement through the library is like moving along that tree of possibilities. You take action in your life. If, if it has to do with you know, finding new, new forms of employment, you take the action of doing research on new forms of employment. You apply to different jobs. You communicate and network with people. And all of these actions are moving through the library to a different set of shelves where there's actually books available to you that can solve the problem you want to solve. So there's kind of, you also talk about a kind of momentum yeah. that, and I think you gave, I'm not sure if I read this here, but or gave an, an example of the Me Too movement mm -hmm. where it was kind of like, Wow, something just sort of popped and became viral because there was a momentum that we can trust in some way. Yeah. Our little piece, our little piece, which seems little, is going to connect with some other pieces. Yeah, my view is, you know, a lot of people feel like, why should, how can I really get involved in anything worthwhile politically? Because I don't even know where to begin. Should I work for this organization or that organization? Should I help this candidate or that cause? And my perspective is that everything we do builds momentum because every action we take is meaningful. So the, the, the point then is to live purposefully, to choose a direction and keep contributing to that cause. It might be a candidate. It might be a, a, a local measure. It might be a national measure. It might be... Um, just working on healthy relationships within your family dynamic, your extended family, or, you know, it can be anything that you're passionate about, but committing to the ongoing journey of, of building momentum in that direction and trusting that when you do that, you're getting closer along this apple tree, you're getting closer to apples. You may not have reached an apple yet, but you're closer to a bunch of them and trusting, having some faith that pretty soon something will unfold which helps the situation. And what I notice in my life is that it it actually starts connecting with other like-minded people, and then I'm no longer alone. I mean, that's happening in my life right now, and I'm getting kind of excited about that because I'm seeing that I'm living in a larger field of people who value yeah. what I value, and, and some of them have some wonderful skill in actually manifesting some way of coordinating all of this. Uh, so that's well, exciting. I think that's what you've done there is you've said, I'm not going to focus on the fact that we haven't solved climate change as a whole. I'm going to focus on the fact that in my work in that direction, I've met some people who have enriched my life, who have taught me some new things, and I've evolved in the process. And so there's an element of being really present to that process and Letting go of, like, not having to solve the whole picture. Well, for example, just this morning, I was on email. Just this morning, I got a text and from someone, and they reminded me because I, I have reached out to this larger group. And they said, oh, next week, remember, we can go meet with our representative. And the, the absolute, uh, what he's going to be talking about is climate change. And so here you can come and be part of this civic group 
and you can put in your questions and say what you need to say. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't have known about that meeting had I right. not belonged to right. this group in this little email list. That's wonderful, and I think it's really important that you see that as a step forward in the process of climate change, right? Synchronicity brought you some momentum, which, again, it's not like the big solution everyone's trying to find, but it's a step. And what we're on is a journey of healing and growth. We're not trying to solve this just like we solve every other thing in our our modern civilization. We're trying to heal ourselves. And each one of us has to dive into that process of healing and notice how life is actually helping us do our healing if we can listen, open, reflect, release, and act. Yes. And (laughs) and you um, also encourage us for some downtime. Uh-huh. That, I mean, we can get pretty active and get all into that, but but there's also an encouragement from you that we need, I guess, that's to reflect. Yeah, on. yeah, it's built into that, right, exactly. We, we do need to not just act, act, act. We have to be able and willing to listen and honestly understand where other people are coming from or what the circumstance might be telling us. Yes, exactly. So... Is there anything else that you want to add to to what we're talking about? I mean, we started off talking about Carl Jung, and there was a phrase that he shared about how in the research we do and the questions we ask, sometimes our questions are very limiting, mm-hmm. that we we limit the possibility just by the questions we're asking and and he was talking about nature in that way, that nature has a fullness, and we should allow nature to respond in the fullness. So if you have anything to say in this last minute about the kinds of questions we might bring into our lives that will bring a fullness back. I would say that the world needs our work. It needs us to work in the world, to step into the work that we're called to do. And If we have mental things that are holding us back, our our questions we're asking are limiting the possibilities of what's really possible for our lives, Um, then the more we can do the introspective work to let go of those limiting ideas and do the work that we need to do in the world, uh, that's the gift we have to bring about synchronicity and make change. I want to just thank you so much, Sky, for being with us today on New Dimensions. It's my pleasure. It's really a delight, Justine. Great. It's been my delight. And I just want to mention that you also are going to be doing workshops or you're producing some workshops that will really delve into more details into this book. Yes. I'm working on a video series and uh, ongoing classes to delve into the book uh, that will be available on my website, skynelson.com. Great. Great. Thank you. I've been speaking with Sky Nelson Isaacs, and he is the author of Living in Flow, The Science of Synchronicity and How Your Choices Shape Your World. And if you want to know more about his work, as he said, you can go to his website, skynelson.com. Or remember, you can always get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3676. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973. 
thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. This program was recorded at Strawberry Hill Productions, a full-service podcast production studio in Novato, California. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions, as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions, whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.